You're tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast, episode 58. everyone, I'm Brian Humphrey. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. Each week on the Roundtable Podcast, Brian and I invite writers to come onto the show and present a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. That's right, Dave, and then we handcuff it, read it its Miranda rights, and throw it in an interrogation room, amp I- up the temperature, and withhold water until it breaks and spills forth the truest, darkest secrets that will allow us to rehab it and release it as a solid and productive member of the Story Society. <laughs> Also what we like to call literary gold. <laughs> you, Brian, you, when, when you're not here and it, it falls to me to do those introductory segments, they are yeah. so lame because you I have... Don't think so. No, dude, you set a high bar. You set a very, very high bar. That's badassery. Oh, I have fun. Yes, you do, and and uh, they they are they are a cornerstone of of the of the roundtable goodness. Well, so, thank you. and and you know clearly that you're making reference to uh, our, our returning guest host, and and just between you me and the fence post, I'm, I'm kind of keen on actually getting him back on. Shall we just yeah, cut do- right to the good stuff? Oh, sure. Oh, excellent. All right, dear friends, uh, please do welcome back to the big chair, author of the Dead World series, winner of the Bram Stoker Award in 2011 for best novel, uh, editor of works, uh, writer of of true crime, sci-fi and horror, uh, and so much more to come. Perhaps someday a historical novel on Chile. (laughs) Please welcome Joe McKinney. Joe, thanks for coming back. Back, man, and, and workshopping a story with us. We appreciate it. Hey, guys, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Outstanding. Now, now, Joe, uh, uh, during our 20 minutes with that aired a couple of days ago, you uh, you articulated a broad range of, of literary goals, uh, aspirations, and possibilities. And I'm wondering, uh, what, what's coming up for you? How many of those uh, goals and aspirations are, are in the near future? Share with our, our listeners what's coming up for Joe McKinney. Well, let's see. Um Next thing to come out is probably going to be my collected zombie short fiction uh, called Dating in Dead World. Uh, Dating it, in Dead World? That's right. It's <laughs> uh, it's taken from one of my uh, short stories of that title. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's bringing together about 35 of my short stories that I've oh, written wow. on, on zombies. Um, let's see. There's that during the summer and then uh, in... September, I'll be releasing two books, um, a standalone zombie novel, not part of the Dead World series called The Savage Dead. Uh, that's zombies on a cruise ship, basically. Um, and, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. God. <laughs> Talk yeah. about a pressure cooker. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. And um, then that same month, I'm releasing a, uh, do you remember the old Ace Doubles? Remember those? Oh, you- yeah. You flip, you, you read the book and you flip it over and then there's another book. Exactly. I'm releasing one uh, with Journalstone. Uh, they're, they're doing a double down series, which takes that same format. And uh, so I'm, I've got a novel in that. And then a good friend of mine, Sanford Allen, is releasing the flip novel for that. And then in, let's see probably half a dozen short stories before the end of the year uh, in various anthologies. Um, then um, I'm starting a new zombie series, not uh, completely different than the Dead, uh, Dead World, uh, and that will come out in 2014. 
Um, so, yeah, so there's quite a bit going on. And then a couple of other novels that I'll be doing for Journal Stone and one more for uh, Evil Jester Press. I've got a comic book that I'm developing for them. Oh, very cool. Yeah, a couple of things. So, yeah, there's a lot out there. So, a lot on the plate. God, it sounds That's like awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. awesome to be Joe McKinney. <laughs> um, Joe, Joe, I, I wanted to ask you because you mentioned the, you know, that you want to write the history of Chile. Are you talking about the food or the country? Uh, no, no, no. The uh, the food. Um, okay. <laughs> See, I was going with the country. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you a connoisseur of the Chile? I am. I am. I can eat my body weight in Chile, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, but, uh, and I make, I make a mean pot of chili myself, but, um, you know, growing up in San Antonio, uh, and, and this isn't hyperbole, this, this is where chili was invented. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm not kidding. It's actually, that's where San Antonio is where chili was invented. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So, um, there's a, there's a rich, uh, connection between San the city of San Antonio's history and chili. And I would love to write that story one day. It's actually, it, it's actually more complex than just stirring up a pot of meat, but <laughs> uh, and I bet dude, there's a lot right. of spicy conflict in that. <laughs> yes. A, a full flavored story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah. Yeah. Here we go. All right. What about, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about, uh, what about conventions or, or workshops or, or teaching gigs or anything like that? Ooh, uh, let's see. Um, I'm doing uh, library Palooza with the San Antonio library system uh, in April this month. And I've got Four appearances scheduled for various public libraries. Um, doing a convention in uh, Dallas later this uh, this month. Um, the Netwo conference, which is like a it's a it's a teaching uh, thing where I'll I'll be putting on courses on police procedurals. And um, let's see what else. Uh, then of course there's the uh, World Horror Convention in New Orleans in the summer. Uh, and then I'll be doing a couple more later on in the year, September, October, but I have to be careful about conventions because, um, you know, as Brian and I were talking last time, um, I'm a, I'm a dad, I've got young children. That means my wife gets left behind with the kids and, and I'm, I'm afraid if I go to too many of these things in one, in one year, she'll change the locks. I was going to say, there will be consequences, <laughs> dark, yes. sinister consequences. Yes. But, but, but this year's Worldcon is right there in San Antonio, dude. You're making that scene? I will most certainly make that one, yes. <laughs> awesome. We will shake hands there then. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, Joe, we're going to make sure all of that coolness uh, gets into the liner notes so the people know to, to stay tuned to the, to the Joe McKinney channel. Um, and what's the, what's the website they can go to to, to stay on top of all that goodness? Uh, old Major's Dream. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge uh, Orwell fan, so I named my website after Old Major's Dream. Very cool. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's um, if you type in Old Major's Dream, Joe McKinney, you'll get right to it. Outstanding. There you go, friends. Check cool. that out. Uh, uh, but uh, for now, here's what I'm going to propose, uh, that we take a short break uh, and and give some airtime to another podcast or an ebook or a Kickstarter project, whatever happens to be in the promo hopper. Uh, and then when we come back, we're going to workshop a story. What do you say, gents? Let's do it. Damn good idea. I like it, too. All right, friends, yes. you guys stay right where you are. We'll be right back. 
Hurry, hurry, step right up. The most amazing tales appear before your very eyes. Gathered from the four corners of Earth and brought here to you at 19 Nocturne Boulevard. See the famous man-eating book of Sumatra. <laughs> or a phantom direct from merry old England. Or aliens from beyond the stars. Even such as these cannot withstand our platinum death ray. Yes, our platinum death ray! All these and more spread out before you. And all we ask is a moment of your time. Spin the wheel and make a chance. Try your luck! www.19nocturneboulevard.net Lords and ladies, welcome back to the Roundtable Podcast and the workshop proper portion of this workshop, I guess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> for lack of, uh, what episode. a way for you to be we'll redundant. We'll use episode, yeah. yes. There we That's go. right. So Dave. Yes, sir. Tell us all about our guest writer. Well, I'll tell you what, Brian. Our guest writer learned to read when he was three years old, graduated from Salem State College with an English degree in 1992, but he didn't actually start writing seriously until late 2010 at the age of 41. Uh, but, you know, he hit the ground running. His first story was written for a small online contest, and, and that was pretty much all it took to get him the writing bug. Mostly, I think, because Destiny whacked him upside the face with a first-place trophy in the competition. So that's pretty badass. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Since then, he's tried to make up for lost time writing story after story after story, managing to get about 20 of them published in various small press anthologies, magazines, and e-zines. Now, one of his short stories, called Photo Finish, was published in Postmortem Press's The Ghost Is the Machine anthology, where it won the Predators and Editors Reader's Poll Award for Best Short Horror Story of 2012, and was subsequently nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Uh, you can find our, our, our fine and intrepid gentleman uh, out on the web at robsmales.webs.com. His blog is lifeis-whathappens.blogspot.com. And he's on Facebook at facebook.com slash robert.t.smales, which pretty much gives up all of the drama of who this gentleman is. Welcome, dear friends, to the writer's <laughs> chair, Rob Smales. Rob, thank you so much, man. And I, I, it's never easy. I don't care how many stories you've written to offer up your story for for public scrutiny and discussion. So, dude, that's that shows strength and character, and we are deeply grateful. And Absolutely. you made me sound so good. <laughs> dude, that <laughs> that is, just sounded fantastic, dude. And and I can follow for a small fee. I will follow you around and deliver that every time you enter a room. Excellent. <laughs> Brian will be there with a with a trumpet. Will blare. It'll that's be awesome. Right. It'll be awesome. So, um, uh, now, now, dude, what are some of the other uh, magazines and anthologies? It sounds like you've been busy in the last three years. Holy smokes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's been fun, though. Um, <laughs> now, now what's, what suddenly go to, what, what switch was thrown in 2010 that got you into the mojo? Uh, I tell stories. I, I always have. I'm, I'm the guy who uh, my friends would come in uh, and ask me, so how was your day? just to get me going and then they would sit back and an hour later 
I'm winding down, I'm out of breath, I'm all... And, and they just got a whole hour's worth of entertainment just for asking me a question. <laughs> see, I can see your friends actually coming up with leading questions and then oh. just one of them throwing them out and then just pouring a beer and sitting back. Yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> That's what they would do. Um, the, the writing part of it was I um, went to a family wedding and I uh, was talking with a, an uncle of mine from England whom I don't get to talk to very often because he's, he's in England. from England, yes. <laughs> uh and he made the mistake of asking me uh, about fishing. I fish a lot. And I told him he does not fish. And he was just being polite. And I told him the story of how I once accidentally caught a pretty big bass. I think I talked for 40 minutes or so. Uh, <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was a step-by-step -step explanation. And uh, he was enthralled. See, Rob, this is why we put the five to eight minute cap. You yes. <laughs> are the reason why we put five to eight minute caps on the story pitches. That's that's awesome. A, a, a died in the wool storyteller. And that's that's going to be so hard tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's see how you do with that because I'm intrigued. I want to get into this. Here's the deal, Rob. We're going to give you five to eight minutes. You give us the title, the genre, the format. Is it going to be a short story, a novel, a series of novels? Give us, you know, theme, tagline, the world, the characters. Give us some some basic key plot points and events, and and we can start workshopping this bad boy. So, Rob, I'm turning the mic over to you. It's all yours, bud. Okay. Um. Just so you know, I have not written any of this. It's what you're hearing is the only thing I've actually written. <laughs> uh, it's uh, planned to be a novel, um, hopefully. The, uh, it, the story's currently saddled with the working title of Out of the Closet, which sounds more like something from the LBGT section of the bookstore. <laughs> but I'm intending it to be horror. So if anybody has any ideas by the end of this is for a title, just sing out. Okay. Um, the hook line, uh, my elevator pitch would be Dreamscape meets Ransom meets The Dark Half. Um, and I would have, uh, as an isolated boy, he battled the boogeyman for his life. Now, 25 years later, can he defend his own son against an insane monster out for revenge? Uh, for theme, I hadn't actually thought about it until you asked me, but I guess it would be, uh, trust, family, and facing fears we didn't, uh, even know we had. Uh, the world. Uh, I didn't do a lot of world building. The world's pretty much, you look around, what you see is it. Uh, with one difference. Uh, imaginary monsters, monsters under the bed, uh, closet monsters, boogeymen, stuff like that, they're actually all real. And all those legends are based on one particular kind of psychic parasitic organism, uh, which gets explained later. Uh, the characters. Uh, my characters have no names at the moment because I can't remember names. I'm terrible with names. But they have <laughs> placeholders, like kind of like job titles. So my protagonist is Writer. Uh, writer begins the story as a boy of 10 and ends up as a man of 35. He has great reliance, uh, several lands, and, and flexibility of mind, which help him in his efforts to save himself as a boy, and then again when trying to save his son as a man. Uh, his great flaw is his lack of trust in others, no matter who they are. Um, he's supported in, in various places uh, in the story by uh, his father and mother. Uh, New England upper class, uh, well, upper middle class folk with aspirations to be upper class. Uh, the more concerned with appearances than realities, they seem to consider keeping up with the Joneses to be more important than taking care of their own child. Uh, wife. As an adult, wife, uh, writer manages to find a woman who's the opposite of mother. Um, love, family, and people come first in her world, especially the protection and care of her only son. Then, of course, there's son. Son is writer's light and life and all. Uh, son trusts Ryder as only a child can trust their parent, and he's the only one Ryder trusts as well. 
and determined not to be the father his own father was, Ryder dotes on the five-year-old, and they are best pals. And then there's Professor Friend, uh, a professor who is his friend. Uh, he's a professor of lore or literature, I haven't actually decided yet, uh, at the local college. Uh, professor Friend has a special field of interest, which would be legends and myths of horror around the world. He's been kind of a public research source for uh, Ryder's professional work, but as their pro uh, friendship blossoms, Ryder's been kind of surreptitiously picking Professor Friend's brain, trying to figure out just what it was that he faced as a child. And what he faced was the primary antagonist, which is the Boogeyman. Uh, the monster in young Ryder's closet, it's just one of a race of beings that exist as nothing but energy and happen to feed on the particular wavelength of energy broadcast by an immature human brain that's feeling fear. This monster is different, however. Uh, he wants to become real. He wants to come through and exist on the physical plane, and he's chosen young Ryder's mind as his portal, even though using it will leave Ryder a lifeless husk. And onto the story. The first part of the story is a long prologue, introducing a young man being terrorized by this boogeyman who wants to be real. His parents refuse to listen to him about it, assuming that sedatives are the answer. Um, despite all this, the boy manages to defeat the monster on his own, and kind of end part one grossly simplified. In the second part of the story, Ryder is all grown up and has become, you guessed it, a writer, using the understanding of fear he gained in his childhood battle with the closet monster to become a successful horror novelist. Uh, his secret is he's held onto his closet monster for all these years, managing to keep it with him, basically enslaving it. Uh, he uses it for story ideas and wowing the public with his deep understanding of fear. And the thing is, he's grown up with serious trust issues stemming from his parents' failure to help him against the monster, which no one knows about but him. Uh, his relationships with everyone around him are strained, and then along comes his son. Everything between writer and son is wonderful. It's the one relationship he has that is not stained by mistrust. Until one day, when son is about five years old, and writer tries to summon the monster but the monster doesn't come. Ryder can't figure out what's going on until his son starts waking up, screaming in the night, babbling about his terrible dreams. Dreams that sound horribly familiar to Ryder. The monster shifted over and started to torment son, preparing to use him as the portal to our world. Mother and father step in, convincing wife to put son on the same sedatives Ryder was on as a boy because as far as they know, that was what worked for him. Ryder knows they didn't help. They were actually the exactly wrong thing to do, but he can't tell anyone. He'd have to trust them for that. Instead, he tries to sneak the medicine away from Son, but gets caught by his wife, who starts freaking out. She's frightened. She's frightened of Son's night terrors. She just found out about Ryder's night terrors, and now Ryder is acting kind of secretive and irrational in trying to keep the meds away from their kid. So, of course, when father and mother offer to take Son away with them, just for a while to handle his medication, wife hands him over to them so they can so that she can focus on helping Ryder, who is just acting irrationally. So Ryder comes home to find that son is off with father and mother, who are going to keep the boy on his meds, unknowingly offering the monster better access to the boy. Ryder doesn't know where they've gone, and the only one who could tell him is wife, who won't until he tells her what's going on. It's a struggle. But uh, spurred on by the, his need to save his son, Ryder manages to throw caution to the wind and finally bring wife into his confidence. Does she completely believe him about this monster? Probably not. But she's wise enough to see that there's more going on here than meets the normal eye. She trusts him. 
the two of them set out to catch up with mother and father and wrest the boy out from the monster's invisible thrall. Mother and father get wind of the couple's approach and assume that either Ryder is forcing wife to go along with him or he's tricked her. They don't actually consider wife to be that bright to begin with and have never really liked her anyway. They try to keep the boy away from them. What happens is a bit of a chase with uh, son medicated the whole time. Uh, the monster tormenting him unmercifully, trying to induce the, the kind of fear that will cause the psychic energy spike he needs to push through into the physical world. The chase culminates in a huge confrontation, with father and mother on one side, writer and wife on the other, and son is sort of the prize in between them. Just as the confrontation is coming to a head, son's fear sort of goes critical, and the monster starts to come through. Just when it seems it might be too late... Ryder manages to defeat the monster again, actually leading Sun into defeating the monster himself while it is weakened and distracted by its oncoming physicality. In a cataclysmic relief of ener- uh, release of energy, the monster is apparently destroyed entirely. Apparently. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Seven and a half minutes. Nicely done, sir. Awesome. Nicely done. <laughs> you can almost hear the stopwatch go click. Well done, sir. Well done. Awesome. Very cool. Now, what are you hoping to get out of this next 45 minutes of conversation? Um, Okay. I have uh, written short stories. I have tried two novels. Um, In both of them, I seem to be be forcing it. Novels are more complex, more complicated. They're longer. And I'm throwing things in to try to make it fit. Um, And then when I edit, I'm going to take them out and it's going to be too simple and short. I'm hoping that I have enough here that it's actually enough material to become a novel. Okay. Um, so that's up to y'all to decide. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I, I think I think there's definitely a novel here. Um, so, okay. Awesome. Anything else? Just to kind of pick apart what I have and see if I can defend it. Because if I can't, then it's not going to hold up against public scrutiny, is it? Yeah, no. And and defending it, you're gonna what you're going to get, Rob, is you're going to get a bunch of different ideas. In fact, Brian, why don't you go ahead and cover our ass on this one? <laughs> you got it. So, yeah, to that point, you're going to get ideas from Dave, from myself, from Joe. And some of them are going to be awesome and you're going to want to go right, right tonight. <laughs> and some of them are going to be complete and total bullshit. Um, that you're going to want to defend to the tooth and nail. So um, you are the writer. You don't have to defend anything because you don't have to take anything that we say. Absolutely. When it comes down to it. Yeah. Cool? Excellent. All right. Very cool. All right. Well, here's then. Thank you, Brian. Well done, sir. Here's here's how we're going to lead off to this. Let's take one quick turn around the table and just give some first impressions, some some initial ideas, what jumped out uh, that works, what maybe uh, needs some attention and any questions of clarification to make sure we're all on the same page. So Joe McKinney, master guest host, sir, uh, we're going to lead off with you. Go ahead and give us uh, lead us off on this first impressions, questions of clarification. Get us started. Okay. um, well, let's start with. The uh, the first thing that you had mentioned, uh, the first problem that you had pointed to, uh, being the title, um, yes. out of out of the closet, um, I, I get that, and um, and I, I do I do like the uh, you know the pun on the bug on the boogeyman. I, I totally like that, but um, I would leave you with this: um, the best advice I ever got about titles, and I'm I'm like. Like you had mentioned in in uh, one of uh, one of the notes, I think you said that you didn't feel comfortable about your titles. 
I, I don't feel comfortable about mine. Um, <laughs> I, I and many times the publisher is going to change them on you anyways. So your best effort is going to be, you know, for nothing. But okay. <clears throat> so, um, but one thing I can tell you about titles, the best advice I ever got about them was that they should mean one thing to the reader when they start the story and something completely different to the reader after they've finished the story. Nice. The, titles, the title should develop a, um, you know, oh, I should have seen that coming. Remember that uh, that episode of the Twilight Zone to serve man, where um, <laughs> you know, they they receive the red book. Yes. And, uh, you know, oh, it's the answers to all our questions. And then um, at the end, he's like, "It's a cookbook." <laughs> and, um, so that, that's a great example of a title changing its meaning. And um, I would just throw one out there: uh, "Dark Muse," maybe as a title. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Because, you know, at the beginning, uh, yeah. you know, you have this horror writer who is using an enslaved monster as his muse. Um, you know, you talk about him mining this monster for its understanding of fear. Um, and then at the end, um, you know, we have the father reaching out to the son to kind of fight his own battles. And so the father, in many ways, becomes the muse for the son. Um, so that, I mean, that's just throwing throwing that out there that would be that would be my suggestion for title change if you if you wanted a suggestion yeah um, and that's why you're joe mckinney <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's <yeah>. good <clears throat> um well the other thing that i that i grabbed on was um you had uh you said in your note in your presses that you hadn't um given much thought to the theme but it sounds like your theme is really coherent and 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 very much there uh you know even at this early stage of draft and um that inability to trust is is i think a great theme um and it certainly builds towards uh your characterization because obviously he's going to have to um his level of trust is going to have to change with his son um you know you you describe their relationship as very much buddy-buddy, uh, uh, he's very much all about his boy, and yet it's not until the shit hits the fan that he kind of has to spill all the beans to his son. You know, so there's still that that um, that separation of trust right there, uh, even between two characters that are supposed to be in lockstep. Um, also, between husband and wife, you know, the best marriage is completely transparent. You know, uh, you, you know, your wife should be able to pick up your cell phone and you shouldn't go, Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, I, I know plenty of policemen who keep two cell phones, you know, I'm not going to get into that, but, um, <laughs> you, you know, I, you know, you, you should have that kind of transparency in your marriage where, you know, you can tell your wife anything. And clearly your character is not at that point at the beginning of the story, but reaches that point by the end. So it's a great character arc. I love that. Um, and it gets to, I think, the one uh, question I have that's kind of missing uh, from the presentation that you've just made. Um, and that is that uh, I, I firmly believe there should always be a reason why this bad guy is fighting this good guy. Um, the two should be connected in a way that, that really means something. Um, <clears throat> if, uh, 
you know, if this bad guy just comes out of the blue and says, I randomly pick you as the person I want to fuck with, um, that we don't have the horror, we don't have the terror there. Um, right. You know, because it's it's like, well, you know, so what? He could have picked the guy next door, you know? I, I, I don't, you know... There, it's there's, random. Yes, there's a... There's a there's a, a missed opportunity for character development on both your bad guy and your good guy. And getting to that, you had said that the monster is different. This one is different. All the others simply want to absorb fear in sort of like a Monsters, Inc. kind of way. Um, and um, But this guy is different. He wants to transition. Why then did this guy choose this character as this this writer as the person that could make that happen for him? What's the connection there between those two? Um, there's, I think, a huge opportunity to develop not only the story's mythology but also uh, the level of fear in our. And you had talked about insularity. Um, in there, you know, because he's an isolated individual as a youth and again as an adult. So there's all sorts of opportunities there to develop that. Um, and I think, you know, you really kind of need to jump on, on that connection. Uh, I actually have that. Okay. Oh, Can good. you summarize but real quick, Ryan? I, I, I have that, except that in my head, I have kind of a, a, a two or at least two or possibly three story arc. And the story is actually the monster's story. Because it takes so long, but it winds up being told by the people that it interacts with. Um, Can you summarize real quick? Uh, I know that's hard for you. To, to, yes, it is. <laughs> um, uh, haha. I don't know if I can. I figured out the way that uh, the, the, uh, Brian's so into the, the monsters and the, the, the evilness. Um, I actually went ahead and I can tell the whole story from the monster's perspective. Um, awesome. Uh, I'm figuring out the way, the, uh, really fast, the way that um, these m monsters work. And I need to actually think of a good name, a good race name for them that isn't something that we gave them. But uh, they, they are kind of uh, immortal and very short-lived at the same time. They have a kind of reincarnation thing. They're parasites that feed off of us. And they only exist, they, they can only feed off of us while our brain is in a certain stage of development. We grow through that stage of development and then they kind of go away they don't die they go into a kind of hibernation a really low energy state in which uh, they're kind of in storage they, they're in hibernation and they, they are losing some of themselves the the the, um, like the systems power down kind of um so they've been alive for a long time but the closest thing we have to it is reincarnation okay. um I like that maybe their life and death cycle is connected to this very short window of opportunity they have to uh, to latch onto a human host. Um, maybe it's the same entity that lives while the human host is within that vulnerable time period and then dies until it can find another human entity. And, and in each case, it's defined by the host and not by its own right sure it's it's almost this, it's it's almost yeah. like a it's almost like a a a, a thunder a, a lightning storm and and it's like there's this energy potential of of these ambient creatures and then a certain child when they experience fear for the first time their unique brain chemistry their unique uh, uh personal experience generates a unique charge that generates one of these 
nightmares, for lack of a better word, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and grounds them in this child, and that child becomes that nightmare's life force for as long as its brain remains immature. That's yes. a good idea. I think you need to be clear, though, about how, uh, you know, if it's if the child is sending out some sort of frequency, maybe only, you know, this one monster is tuned into this one particular frequency of fear or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that connection between the two has to be concrete, though, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. What I actually have is uh, this, uh, normally it's random. This monster's managed to uh, stay within the same family. He's gone from generation to generation. So this was this was actually Ryder's father's monster in the closet, oh, and his grandfather's See, I was gonna go monster there. in the closet. And it, <laughs> I, 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 I love it. That's very. But that's you don't know that until the until the end, and it's right. been able to. Uh, 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 hmm. All right, I'll give you my last my last scene. Uh, after the big culmination, the big fight, the big battle, where the monster actually starts to come through and become visible. Um, the the father has been denying this thing that actually haunted him as a child, just as it haunted Ryder. Um, he's been den- denying it for his entire life. When he actually sees it, his mind snaps. Bang. At the end of the book, he's regressed to uh, being a child. Okay. And he, and he's in a home. Okay. And he, and at the uh, the very last scene is his his attendants are putting him to bed. He's had a visit with the family. He's being put to bed, and you know they give him a little his little milky cup, and he goes in, and they turn the lights out, and the door opens, and there's in the, the culmination in the culmination scene, the monster there's a big, <laughs> and the monster's gone, but then the door opens, the the closet creaks open. Right, right, and there the he is. Leave, and these little eyes open up, and this voice says to the to the father, "I remember you." Yeah. Because suddenly he hasn't outgrown the monster anymore. He's he's back in the back. monster's zone. Sure. His mind right. has has gone back to that zone. Awesome, very cool. totally, totally awesome. All right, let's 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 continue around with our first impressions. Brian, what do you got, man? Okay, so first of all, I I totally love it. Like, there's so many different things that you can do with this, and I've already I've already like gone in three different directions and then totally negated myself in other directions. And I think that any one of them that that I've written down or that you come up with is gonna work, and that's what makes a story so much fun. Um, one thing that that I'm wondering, have you considered maybe uh, shifting this to YA? Um, I had thought about that. Um. Uh, originally, it was a short story idea that was just uh, what I'm now calling the prologue. Right. Um, and then it, it kind of grew. Um, it, it could be. Um, well, but yeah, but the, see, the, the but reason then... that I the reason that I asked that there's a couple of things that that would solve, but I don't think that you have to do that. This is just you know one of those you could go in this direction, but it it totally works as an adult novel as well. But if it was YA, you know, and you made the you made writer like the older brother. Um, then you'd have the you know a lot of conflicts with him the way that you've set him up in high school, oh, um, you know what I mean and and how he relates to the other kids in the high school and what he's going through and how he's alienated and all of that so you'd have a lot more to work with there and YA tends to be a little bit shorter too so that takes care of a little bit of your length issue in terms of a novel but um, but if you didn't want to go that way there's a lot of other things that you could do as well but yes. uh, but my initial impression this is fucking awesome and there's a lot of stuff that i want to dig into but i'm going to do that in round two all right okay. very cool i damn brian i'd ya 
dude. <laughs> Holy it's crap. just a thought. It, well, just and it's the, the thing is, it's a good thought, damn it. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and not that I would begrudge you a good thought, but it's like all this stuff that I'm thinking, there, it ain't, it ain't fucking YA. I can guarantee you that. Um, no, no. And everything else that I have written down, which is like two pages now, is is not YA right, either. So, so I'm going to say that's Rob, why I got it out of the way early. All right, good, Rob. Brian's idea is effing brilliant. Uh, did I just say effing? Really, it's fucking yes. brilliant. Uh, and and let's let's put that on the table and can put that as a, as a possibility because it really does solve a lot of very cool things. But let's move on. Um, let's say it's not YA. I have some questions. Uh, how dark do you want to go with this? How how dark? And I mean uncomfortably dark. I'm talking child molestation dark. I'm talking Ooh, uh, uh, yeah. I'm talking playing with guts dark. How how dark are you going? Uh, uh, as dark as it takes. Okay. I, right. Whatever, whatever actually fits the story. I don't, I don't okay. like go blood and guts just for the sake of going blood. And no, guts. no, certainly not. Certainly not. If but it fits, th- it fits. But, well, but you know, it doesn't have to be blood and guts though. I mean, uh, like you said, a lot of the, uh, he had mentioned child molestation and, and that's certainly about as dark as it can possibly get. And that can all be done off screen or off right. stage, which is probably the way it should be done. Yeah. Yes, I actually have a something that I wrote that has, uh, yeah, it has child molestation happening in another room, and someone knows it's going on. So yeah, I yeah. Okay. All right. I'm not I, and I just I just wanted to, I enough. wanted to gauge gauge the waters along those lines before I explore any further. Right. Um, first of all, uh, uh, just some some key points that really jumped out at me. Uh, I love the fact that the father guides the son at the end. Uh, uh, that just makes good sense. I love the the moment of truth where the wife forces the husband to choose between his fears and his love of her and his son. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think it really needs to be his love of her and his son. It can't yes. be just a matter of I love my son, so I'm gonna I'm gonna acquiesce to you, you harridan, you woman who's forcing me into uncomfortable zones. It needs to be a healing. <laughs> Uh, uh, so, uh, that, that's an important balance there so that our hero is going into the final conflict, uh, fully empowered. Um, let me ask you one question. Uh, uh, our, our protagonist writer, man, uh, enslaves the boogeyman and uses him to become a, a successful horror author with keen insights into, into fear. Yes. Is this Rob a good and noble thing? Is that a heroic effort on the hero's part, or has he committed a sin in it doing so? It is not heroic, but as a, as a child, it was the best he could do. Okay. Um, and no, and he, he he's definitely flawed. Okay. Then I would, I, would, uh, I would put to you, I know you gave uh, his lack of trust as his crippling weakness. Yes. Um, I would say uh, uh, that that is a symptom of his crippling weakness, but I think... Uh, uh, we can even go behind that to a, a dread fear of human contact or human connectivity of some kind, which he has used the boogeyman as his shield to defend right. himself against those connections. Just something to, something to chew on because okay. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the, the the father and the mother. I'm so glad to hear that you did the father. Uh, there's more to the father relationship than was there before, um, and I want to explore that more because I think there needs to be 
uh, an echo in the father and the writer's relationship that can be revealed and exposed through this writer and his son's relationship, a revelation at the end that helps everyone come together in some useful way. Um, so, uh, uh, and that's all I've got for the initial question round. So, Joe, where do you want to go first on this? Where, where do you think our time is going to be best served to explore? Um. I love the uh, the family heritage ang- angle. Yeah. The, the idea that that this thing has been because that's the that was my big uh, doubt when the first time I went through. Um, you know, what's the connection between these two? And if it's a passed down sort of thing, I, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I love the fact that we're not aware of that until the very end of the story. Um, I have two issues that I that I'd like to bring up. Uh, one is minor, and the other, um, well, I guess both are kind of minor, but um, but get to the uh, sort of realizing what the story is about. Yeah. Um, first of all, um, you you kill you call this bad guy the the boogeyman throughout the story, right? Um, the that automatically calls to mind anybody who's who's read their Stephen King, especially uh, the story, The Boogeyman. Um, okay. You know, the have you read that one? Uh, it's, in, it's in Night Shift. Um, then, then yes, but so long ago that it's a blur. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I, well, you have a story there about a guy who has lost uh, one child after another to what looks like crib death, but what he knows is actually The Boogeyman. Coming out, oh. coming out of the child's closet. Um, and when I first saw your presses, that's what I was kind of thinking, or when I first heard you say your presses, that's what I that's what I was thinking of. Um, so there's that angle. You really kind of need to differentiate, I think, the boogeyman. Um, and also, um, have you read Seed by Alborn? No. Uh, okay, that's a recent novel that, that just came out. Um, in 2011, I believe, but check that one out. Uh, definitely. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a bestseller, but it, um, it's also worth reading because it also involves the family legacy of dealing, you know, the, uh, in that story, the father has to deal with this weird boogeyman as a child. And then again, when it tries to take over his daughter, uh, in his adult life. So, um, oh, it's, wow. it's important to know these stories so that you're not kind of retreading familiar ground. Yes. Um, and uh, so definitely, Thank you. Check, oh, no problem. Yeah, check those out um, and and make sure you're kind of going in a different direction. Um, calling the character the boogeyman, I'm sure you pro- that's probably a placeholder name. It, it is. I started out calling him the monster in the closet, and that just became too long. <laughs> I couldn't keep saying that. So, you can uh, call him Mick. Yeah. Call, yeah. call him the that's monster right. in the closet. Call him Mick. No, yeah. no. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, that's so that that's an issue, um, and um, and definitely make sure that you're differentiating yourself in in some meaningful way, um, so that people know that hey, this isn't a pastiche. Um, and and I, I do I I do not get to read as much as I as I want to and as much as I need to. So I that's another thing that I'm worried about is inadvertently putting out a retread and not even knowing it. Okay, well those those so, are the two. Those are the two uh, stories that come to mind uh, that people could, you know, say, hey, this is a retread of those two stories. So The Boogeyman by Stephen King and Seed by Allborn. 
um, both of which you know are, are readily available. Um, the other question that I had was, does your main character have to be a writer? Um, we have sort of Stephen King has sort of conditioned us that you know every, every character in every single one of his books is a writer, uh, <laughs> and um, the uh, you know so he sort of conditioned us to. You know, hey, if if it's a horror novel, your main character is going to be a writer. So, you know, um, I, oh. I, I, would, I would I would encourage you to instead of instead of falling on that, to use that occupation as as another way to develop depth in the story. And we have this kind of theme of the muse going. So, what about making your character a child psychi- a psychiatrist? Or possibly an anthropologist, someone who deals with fear and human condition in, in, a, in a in a different direction than, say, a writer. Um, I'm awesome. wor- I'm worried that if you say, "Hey, my main character is a writer," people are going to say, "Yeah, I get it that you've read your Stephen King, um, but you know, I'm looking for something." <laughs> And, or it could be a profiler for for the FBI. It could be. Oh, a, there, there you go. There, I was I, actually I was actually being lazy. And uh, going with something that I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but, but again, um, you know, every angle of the story needs to to every, every every piece that you put into motion or every piece you put on the on the on the chessboard needs to have the capacity for some depth, and and it needs to it needs to provide an opportunity to to really flesh out the story in, in a meaningful way. Yeah. Um, and you know his occupation may seem topical or you know just just a, a in, you know incidental to the story itself but it doesn't have to be um, and making him a famous child psychiatrist or a which is brilliant famous, love that you know, yeah. or a yeah. famous profiler for the FBI you know i mean all of these things are there um, and you can explore the aspects of fear that that you've got that you've set on the table, um, you can explore those in some meaningful ways. Oh, snap. Joe, let me, let me jump in real quick. Okay. What, what, (laughs) let's, let's rock that. Let's roll the, the child psychiatrist. In fact, he's brilliant when it comes to the night terrors and the children afflicted by these, this psychological trauma that we all know is caused by these, these psychic beings. And so he goes in and he uses his bond to this, to his own personal boogeyman, to banish the other, uh, uh, the whatever nightmare has has latched onto the child that's being afflicted. At least he thinks he's banishing it. Maybe, that's yeah. yeah. It, it gets well, and it get, Rob. It gets to what you had mentioned earlier about your uh, your elevator pitch about it being uh, Dreamscape meets Ransom meets the Dark Half. Yes. Uh, you know, dreamscape, that's what they do. You know, they get into the dreams of significant people and, and help them fight their demons. I mean, yeah, you know, what what Dave just said, I, I think, is perfect for, for that. Yeah. Yeah. What were and you going to say, Brian? Well, if, if you go that route, then when the monster banishes whatever the other thing is, it absorbs its energy. And so your main character knows that every time he does this, he's letting that monster get a little bit stronger, but he's still helping. Do you see where I'm going with that? Right, right. That it's and, a, it's, and, it's, it, there's a sacrifice in each 
person that he helps because there's always that fear that he's going to let the monster get so strong that he can no longer control it. Well, and the hubris of going forward, I am finally being respected and admired something I never had my whole life. I now finally have right. power. And, and so, but how, how far are you willing to take that? And what are you willing to unleash on the world in the name yeah. of your own yeah. glory? And that actually brings me to another thing that I wanted to, to throw at you. And that's that I personally, I think that, um, when this thing jumps to his son, that he doesn't necessarily want to destroy it because they, he's built a symbiotic relationship with it. It's not just feeding off of him. He's gaining something from having it around. He's got and magic. So, he's got dark yeah, magic. Exactly. That, that he's able to utilize. And that's what makes him popular and makes him so world renowned is because he has this connection. So if this connection goes away, he doesn't have it anymore. He's nothing. This is his selfish aspect. You know, the, the side of him that, that we're going to look at and go, okay, this is what he really has to overcome within himself to make that character journey. Rob, is, that's perfect. That's the fatal flaw for this character yeah. because you'd already established that this is a family thing. And if you can make what we all recognize as a flaw into, oh my God, I can pass this along to my kid. He can have the same power that I had. He can even surpass me. What father doesn't want his child to be more than he is? And that's beautiful. I mean, you make that our, we completely understand the motivation and yet we're, we're appalled by it. I I love that. The the capacity for horror there is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I also think that that the timing isn't right for the main character, and the main character doesn't want it to happen as early as it does because he's made that monster so strong that it can devour his son. His son well, isn't old enough yet, and that becomes the choice. That becomes right. his first choice, and maybe he fails. I mean, there's a tri- there's got to be a try fail cycle. So maybe sure. his first challenge is. No, it's okay. My son is strong. I have bonded with him. You know, he's the only good relationship I've got in this world. I, 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 I'll go ahead and give him a little bit. And it's right. not until his relationship with his wife, when his wife comes in and proves herself to be uh, a strong foundation anchor that he can sink his, his hope into beyond the boogeyman, that then he realizes, oh, crap, I've totally screwed up, and now I have to do something about it. Dave, I love right. the... I love the um... Uh, there, there's, there's something wonderful about that hubris that, um, uh, you know, that I, uh, underneath what you had just said there is, is the notion that this guy can control the, the demon or right. the, this other thing. And, um, and I love that, that it's the same sort of idea that, that fuels all of Lovecraft's sort of antiquarians who are always looking into the Necronomicon, you know, there's that idea that I can control that, you know, I mean, no one else can, but surely I can do it. Yes. And, uh, and so this character is so, has such potential for, uh, wonderful flaws that, (laughs) that, that we both love and yet are terrified of because we know that, he can't handle it. He's a little kid on top of a big Harley. He can't handle that. Sure. But he thinks he can. Right. I love that. Yeah. And and there's another aspect that you can play with with that that has to do with the drugs or the meds that you can go in two different ways. One is that maybe 
the the writer or who, whatever he is, I'm just calling him the writer because that's his his placeholder, um, was given these drugs as a kid, and that's what initially gave him the control over it. Yes, nice. And he's continued to take them without anybody knowing. And that could be a big reveal later is that that's part of why he has that control. And then he goes to take it and they're missing and he's about to lose control of it. And, you know, or the other way that you can go with it is that the, the drugs, um, take the control away. And that's why he doesn't want his son on them is that he has given his son a little bit of it, of, of, of the monster of that power. And as soon as they give, his son those meds then the monster is going to take complete control over his son because his son will no longer have any control over it or the drug angle uh, it calls to mind that movie altered states if you guys remember that sure absolutely yeah and firestarter Uh, yes yes. yeah yeah so i love the drug angle um i think what's missing from our equation here though is Remember, the grandfather dealt with this situation in his own way, and he didn't have the drugs. Right. Um, So whatever enabled him to fight, I think there needs to be an accidental discovery that there needs to be a common thread. Um, Because if you're developing this family heritage angle, um, that has to be present. There has to be a thread that, like it or not, you know, and and that's what I said—a very Hawthorne-esque kind of kind of thing. You know, Dad, I hate you, but here I'm becoming you. Um, you know, and it and it passes on from generation to generation. You know, sort of that sins of the father kind of thing. I think sure. I can help. I, I can too, but you go first. No, 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 you go first. <laughs> you, oh you, God, I don't want to usurp you. Okay, fine, I'll go first. All right, go ahead, and and then come to me because I got something. All right, all right. So, so here we go. So how does the, I, I love, first of all, the drug thing, love it. The only other angle I would throw on top of that is what if it's an experimental drug? What if it's an experimental drug that was actually inspired by somebody else who's already been enslaved by the boogeyman? And it's a drug that's designed to create an infection that people can create these bonds to the boogeyman, which is all part of their master plan to come into our world. Um, but that's for book two or three. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But be that as it may be, how does the father do it without the drugs? He does it as a child by making a deal with his boogeyman and instead becoming a terror to other children and allowing and actually saying, no, don't scare me. I will scare somebody else and I will scare them better than you can. So you will have a richer feast on them. Just don't make me scared don't feed on me don't make me afraid and so as a child writer's father went around the neighborhood and terrified the crap out of people and maybe somebody found out about that uh uh and and resented it long after as they grow into adulthood and maturity and when this other person that found out about grandfather's terrifying things uh when he has a son uh no 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 Screw that. Um, uh, uh, he actually <laughs> starts taking it out on writer, on your protagonist. So this adult who grew up with writer's father is taking uh, is abusing writer, is abusing your protag, and father can't do dick about it. Otherwise, the the, the man will come out and, and expose him for what he is uh, uh, or something along those lines. I don't know. But the thing is, is that the son 
was abused by another person in the neighborhood and his father didn't lift a finger. And that is the seed of his distrust and his loathing of his father because his father would not help him when he needed it the most. His mother wouldn't was was uh, uh, as intimidated. In fact, maybe the mother was was terrified by the same boogeyman, and the father used the boogeyman to terrify and bind his mother to him from a young age. Blah blah blah. I don't know, but that that right. gives you all sorts of dark, twisted stuff that that sure. warps your protag and gives your father justification for how he does what he does brian over to you okay so so what i'm thinking is the grandfather when he was young he found some natural way to defeat the monster or to or to push it back and so when when his you know he's grown up he has his son which is our main character and the main character needs drugs in order to suppress the monster and so he looks at his son as weak and uh you know so there's that discord there as well and you can work in all the other stuff too but then the drug itself alters the brain chemistry which alters the waves that the monster's riding and somehow it responds to the new waves or adapts to them and is a attracted to them and so then when the sun is put on it that's how the monster is able to jump over maybe i don't know i mean maybe that's totally missing the point of the whole jump over but (laughs) then at the very end when the grandpa is in the home you have the final scene where he is about to go to bed and he's given his little cup of pills and the pill is in there which alters his brain chemistry and attracts the monster back to him there you go Joe, what about you, man? Are, is any of this stuff resonating for you? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I love the. Uh, I, I do love the drug angle. I think that's great. I and I love the idea of it connecting back to the grandfather at the final scene, and that brings up a an issue in in storytelling technique that I wanted to talk to you about, Rob, um, and that's how you envision the story playing out. You had, you had mentioned in your presses that um, we begin with the story where the father is a young man and we conclude where he's a man of, say, 35. Um, and that's, that's cool. I get that as an overall kind of bridge. But I'm wondering if you see this as a linear story progression or um, are you thinking of it as a... Um, as it jumping around chronologically, like uh, maybe that movie Pulp Fiction did, you know how or we... Memento. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I was I was picturing it being linear, um, but uh, towards the end, as they start to uh, find things out, you can find uh, finding out old records. Um, Ryder finds his dad's medical records, um, indicating he was on the same drugs Ryder was on as a child. Um, for. For the for night terrors and something that he never knew. Uh, so so revela- that, revelations of the past. Okay, yes. well, that that can be, I you know, in keeping with the whole drug thing, I, I get that. Um, you know, there's been a, a a sort of a quantum leap forward in in pharmaceuticals in the last say twenty years or so, um, and. Um, so, you know, the, uh, for instance, uh, you know, you can only imagine how much cooler the 50s would have been with, uh, with Viagra. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, th- things have changed quite a bit in the last, um, in the last 20 years. So in, in dealing with pharmacology, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to be charting some 
some kind of uncertain waters there, especially if you're talking about some miracle drug for night terrors or whatever. Um, At the moment, what they prescribe for night terrors is diazepam. Okay. And they don't, uh, it's a short term, but not as a long term because they try to, apparently they try to uh, uh, cure it through uh, psychology. Mm-hmm. And but they're just trying to uh, get the kid onto a cycle, a better sleep cycle by using a sedative. So they they usually use diazepam. Okay. Okay. Um, At the moment, you know what about what about the classic self-medicated uh, substance, alcohol? Um, you know how many kids have made a have made a routine uh, out of raiding mom and dad's liquor cabinet? I, you know, I mean, there's there's always that angle too. Um, and, you know, of course, you saddle someone with a generational curse of alcoholism, and, and my God, you've got a that's, – <laughs> that's, that's character depth out the ass. Yeah. Um, and uh, But anyway, my thought was you had mentioned linear, and I really don't see the story developing in a linear fashion. Um, it really almost begs to be told in a, uh, in a disjointed kind of um, – well, everything needs to happen within this present – context of father and son relationship yes the um the background needs to be developed piecemeal um and fed to us one spoonful at a time as we need it with a nice unreliable narrator yeah and well really um writer is as about unreliable as we can get right yes everything that we've talked about everything that's mentioned in the presses um He's he, my God. This it's a wonder this guy found a woman as good as wife to to hook up with him. You know, that's a good right. point. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, there's that. I, I I really think it begs to be told within the context of father son relationship and the grandfather angle or the the father angle needs to be developed one yep. bit at a time through the course of the story. Yep, I agree. Yeah. Okay, yeah, gentlemen, and, and go ahead, Brian. Uh, well, I was just going to say to that end, I, I kind of saw it as um, because he's got this thing with him that is sort of made of nightmare, that he's still being tortured by it from time to time. And you could yes. have that be flashbacks of of him as a child in his room and this thing coming forth from the closet. And then the only other thing that I wanted to say is if you kept the title out of the closet, then you might gain a whole bunch of LGBT readers that didn't intend on reading your genre. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, but you no. know, I, I would caution. I, you know, I mean, yeah, we don't want that. I, I would caution <laughs> you about that, though, because um, you know, the, there's a, there's a there's a matter of faith. There's a matter of trust, right? Yeah, you right, know. right, and and um, and you risk having um, you risk having a significant and intelligent group of readership alienated absolutely exactly hey you're making fun of me damn it you know that's yep and and, you know that's not a way to go i mean there there has to be a certain playing to the gallery uh you know when you when you do a public exposition like a novel or a story or any work of art and so um yeah I, i would really stay away from that that particular title just because 
You're gonna, you're gonna. It, it does carry that with it. it does. Yeah, yes. that, that's yes. why yeah. I was asking. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, yeah. gentlemen, I'm, I, I need to intercede here. I'm watching the clock tick down. We're running out of time. Uh, so what I'd like to do is, is take one more turn around the table, uh, uh, and each of us give give Rob a, a summary of last minute thoughts, some some wisdom, some ideas, some suggestions, something that he can stuff in his pocket some gold that he can carry away with him so that he'll be motivated to go off and write this amazing story. Uh, so Joe, we'll lead off with you, sir. Last, last thoughts and words of wisdom for, for Rob. Sure. Rob, um, focus on why this bad guy is dealing with this good guy. Develop that relationship between the two of them beyond, um, beyond a, a random sort of thing. Um, okay. make it, Make it organic. Uh, you have have a very real reason for this, and and revel in that because that's going to be the secret to um, character development, to plot, uh, and eventually to uh, resolution in the story. Um, yep. th- that's the key to yep. success. There, there has to be a reason why they're fighting. Okay. Excellent. Absolutely. Yep. Brian. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, this is badass and I want to read it like now. So get it, get it written. Get it done. That's right. But, uh, no, one, one, one thing, uh, that I thought might be kind of cool is if you're, if you are talking about the boogeyman and I know that that's kind of just a placeholder too. Um, but if you were and somehow your main character has leashed him to, to do what you're doing, then that kind of, um, has a little bit of that Neil Gaiman, um, sure. Sandman, uh, yeah, Sandman kind of thing going where you could have like stuff running in the background where kids n- no longer fear their closets and, you know, weird things like that where the boogeyman no longer exists because he's almost got it enslaved. And that might be kind of a cool little running through the background kind of a kind of a thing. Hmm. But uh, okay. but what you have, I think you have so much to work with and I'm really excited to see what you do with it. So let us know, uh, you know, as you progress through this, how it's going. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and for myself, Rob, I'm going to kind of echo what, what's been said a lot uh, throughout this whole discussion. Um, I really agree with Joe that this does not necessarily need to be a, a, a linear of experience. Um, I would actually argue uh, uh, that really what this story is about is, is about the potential dysfunctions between fathers and sons, between mothers and sons and husbands and wives, and the relationship issues that inspired the boogeyman to latch on to your protagonist, uh, uh, those issues, that fear, that terror was inspired by Protag's relationship with his father. And he's that same relationship or the echo thereof is happening with Protag and his son. Yes. So there's, yeah. there's a revelation there. Um, the father and mother relationship is mirrored and echoed in Protag and his wife's relationship. Uh, this, this, that's what ultimately this story is going to be a revelation about. Yes, there's boogeyman. Yes, there's evil. There's, there's, there's horror and terror. But scrape away all of that, and you've got that rich minefield of father-son uh, 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 dysfunction and horror. <laughs> God, I think uh, you're getting a little literary <laughs> fiction on us there, Dave. Well, yeah, okay. So let, let's use that as, the, as a, as a <laughs> small seed, and then wrap it in, in all sorts of creepy awesomeness. Um, let's see what and else did I have. Boogeyman guts. Boogeyman guts. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, the only other thing that I wanted to give you was uh, the notion. I kind of like the idea of the boogeyman, uh, uh, boogie people, nightmares being a, a collective. 
uh, uh, that are grounded and brought in somehow. Brian, the notion of the um, uh, the the child psychologist uh, uh, mm-hmm. defeating the boogeymen actually kind of plays into Brian's uh, uh, sort of the boogeymen are going away, uh, but they're really not. Um, what I can see at the end of this is you talked about dreamscape. And one of the cool things about dreamscape is that there's this sense of this other world that is there and always on the fringe, but it'd be very cool if at the end of this book, that world opened up. The veil lifts. Exactly. (laughs) And we can start exploring all of the dark horrors of which these boogeymen are just the fringe, just the the gatekeepers uh, that are the portal between our world and whatever dark horrors lie beyond. Um, and for to oh, that end, I would recommend uh, reading Brian Lumley's um, uh, Necroscope series. Wonderful series. It's basically Bram Stoker meets uh, 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 Lovecraft uh, with vampires being Cthulhu creatures, and it's badass. Um, for for that type of layered revelation. Okay. Okay. Holy crap. Wow. Um, <laughs> damn. Uh, Rob, dude, thank you so much. Obviously, we've gone over time. Uh, we've had an amazing discussion. This doesn't happen unless we've got good food on the table to chew on. So, Rob, thank you so much, man, for bringing such an awesome story for our for our consideration, sir. Yep. Thank hey, you guys Rob, for having me. Rob, I would leave you with one thought, man. Um, We've had this amazing discussion over a book that hasn't even been written yet. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you've got you've got good things ahead of you, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you. Now, here's the deal, Rob. You write yes. this bad boy. You get it out there. You you patio books it. You you e-book it. You get a, a big five contract. Who cares? You make that baby happen. And when you do, you come back and we will knight you. And we will knight you. Lord in Rob. Uh, no, we will knight him the knight of shadows. Ooh, I like <laughs> You will be the knight of shadows of the round table, sir. That's, that's what's on the table. That's the carrot. Sounds good to me. I'm down with it, too. All right. <laughs> Very cool. Joe, dude, thank you so much. You have added so many yes. levels of, of nuance and insight and experience to this discussion, and we are so very grateful. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Love, love this. Totally. <laughs> good times. Thank you. Thank you very wow. much, Joe. Now, now, friends, I, I know you're sitting here going, wow, that was amazing. Uh, uh, and, and, and we're all kind of sitting here spent and, and sprawled in our beanbag chairs uh, uh, going, what's next? Holy crap. Well, I'll tell you what's next. In a couple of days... We're going to start this all over again. We're going to bring back another awesome uh, guest host with with wisdom and insight. We're going to have a courageous, a, a creative and courageous guest writer uh, uh, bring another story for the table. More amazing writerly goodness, more literary gold for everyone. Uh, but that's still a couple of days away. There's so many things you can do in those couple of days. Uh, let the world know that the round table is out there. And do keep in mind that if you've got ideas for Rob, the best place to throw those ideas down is in the comment section of the post. Yes, someday we will have a proper chat room uh, uh, and forum message board for these discussions, but for now it's the, the, the comments of the post. They have been a vigorous and delightful continuation of the discussion, so I'll make sure Rob is aware when those comments start coming in. And and. Those of you who are out there, you know who I'm talking to. Uh, You bring that goodness every time. So let's continue that there as well. So, holy smokes. Brian, (laughs) what what, what do you think, man? Uh, 
what, what, what should our, our listeners be doing over the next couple of days? Well, a- after this kind of a story, I think my words of wisdom to you are make sure that your closet doors are chained shut <laughs> and the night lights are on and then settle in with weapons by your side and go right. <laughs> Absolutely. Bring, bring your awesomeness into the world by writing your stories because we want to read them. Uh, and friends, I will tell you as always, you find what you're looking for, so don't go looking for boogeymen because you'll find them. I recommend looking for the top shelf goodness, uh, uh, and you'll find that as well. So we will be back in just a couple of days with even more awesomeness. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means do not sell it, but you can share it all you want. And you can even use pieces of it in your own production, as long as you release that production under the same licensing terms and attribute us as the source. Theme music provided by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you want to be a guest writer or guest host, or just learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also out on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast, and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.